just thirsty. Okay. Morning. I'm going to try and read the right chapter this time. <laughs> chapter 9, right? Yeah. Chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 11. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. It's a long-winded one today. Uh, bow your heads with me, please. Father God, I pray that uh, as we seek to know you, as Jackie dives into your word and, and uh, discerns it and teaches it, that your spirit would be in this place, that it would be with Jackie, and uh, that you would guide him. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the sacrifice that you uh, laid yourself down for us, that you gave your body for us. And I pray that... Uh, as we seek after you, that our hearts would be open, our ears would be hearing to know more of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, we have been discussing for a while this idea of the picture that God presented us with. Remember, as we've been working our way through the Scripture, we see that God has given to His people what we call a progressive revelation. He paints for us pictures. And those pictures help illustrate to us a coming reality. And, and one of those examples is what we've been talking about. We talked about uh, Jesus, right? Being more supreme than everything we can imagine. Better than the prophets. <clears throat> better than the angels, better than Moses, better than the new covenant. In fact, Jesus ushers in, uh, or better than the old covenant, Jesus ushers in the new covenant. And so, all of these things are pictures of that which is temporary, Jesus being the reality that's permanent. And we want to we wanna really be able to grab a hold of that idea, that the, when we look at the old covenant, we see God presenting to us a picture of the reality that was coming, in Jesus Christ. So as we come to salvation, we come to this concept that Jesus is greater, we want to realize that He's everything we need. He's the fulfillment of it all. We want to be able to cling to Him. We want to be able to hold to Him. And as we look at this section in chapter 9, there's two paragraphs, and when I was thinking about doing both of them, but I chickened out. So the first paragraph, verses 11 to 15, in chapter 9 that, that we're looking at today is dealing with the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. The permanence of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And then the second uh, uh, paragraph 
goes from verse 16 to verse 22. And that deals with the, the prerequisite of his death. Why it is that Jesus has to die. We'll take a look at that next time. But this time I just want to focus in on that. The concept of there's power in the blood. Now we've all probably sung that song or a hundred like it, right? That extol the, the beauty and the majesty and the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we look at it, it's going to be contrasted as we look at the scriptures with the blood of animals. So what is he saying? The blood of Jesus is infinitely greater. The blood of animals was temporary. The blood of Jesus Christ is permanent. The blood of animals, we had to bring sacrifices over and over and over and over. The blood of Jesus Christ, once for all. So the beauty that we have laid out before us, seen in the power of the blood. And specifically, when we look at the power of the blood, we're talking about redemption. Redemption. So we're going to kind of uh, uh, mess around uh, with that concept. Hopefully be able to, to grapple with it, wrestle it to the ground, and, and make it tell us what it means. Sound good? Let's give it a shot. So we look at Hebrews 9 verse 11. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats or calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So you get the idea of what we've been talking about, what we're looking at, the permanence of Jesus, the permanence of His redemption, that it's not something that has to be repeated over and over again. It's something that we can have one time. Once the blood of Jesus Christ will wash us of our sin. So He's laying out for us this idea. What do we see in this redemption? This setting free, us, you and I, mankind, being set free... From the ransom, the payment that was due by sin. Now what did the Bible tell us? The payment that was due for sin. The Bible says, the soul that sins, what? Shall die. Speaking of separation from God. So, Jesus Christ dies that death. So that you and I don't have to. Now there's not that. There doesn't have to be that separation, right? There, remember when... When Jesus comes four days late to Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus had died. You guys with me? And he comes walking up and Lazarus been in the ground for four days. How many of you know that God's never late? We're pretty sure sometimes he is though, right? Right? Because if you're them, if you're Mary and Martha, you're thinking, yeah, you're too late. God's never late. Ever. He comes walking in and Martha immediately comes to him. You can read about it in John chapter 11. Martha immediately comes to him and she says to him, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. What's he saying? No one ever dies in me. He's the life. There's a concept that you just really got to get your mind wrapped around. What do I mean? The Bible tells in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look at it in a moment, that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are in Him. So if you're in Christ, then you are life, not death. If you're in Christ, you don't die. You're ushered into the presence of God. 
That's radically different than the idea that that someone's lost. But so, that's how we feel sometimes, isn't it? We lose somebody here. Let me tell you this. All the pain and heartache that we have on earth, when you get to heaven, you're going to think, that was stupid. <laughs> the reality is here on earth, we're, that's just how we work, right? I'm not saying that ain't how we work. That's how I work too. I don't like it any more than you do. But I know that the Bible says that I do not consider this present suffering worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in Christ, in Him. Because now I'm in Christ positionally, right? It's a, it's a, a kind of like a, a, it's a reality, but it's a mental exercise for me because I don't yet see it. But when I am there, oh, I'm going to see what that is. What an incredible thing it is to be in Christ Jesus. To be a part of all that He has for us. So, so we need to understand as we look at this, as we wrestle with this idea of redemption, what is it that Jesus was saying to Mary and Martha? I bought your brother. He's mine. How do I know He belongs to Him? Because in a couple of minutes, Jesus is going to tell Him to do something. You ever try to get somebody to do something that don't belong to you? Jesus is going to say, Lazarus, come forth. And he's coming out of the grave. Because what? The life. God Almighty called him. When God said, let there be light, what happened? When God said, Lazarus, come forth, what happened? You know, movies always try to make develop this concept of, uh, uh, what, is, what is it, babe? Drama, that's the word. You did it in the first guess. We got, we got a Vulcan mind thing going. <clears throat> so, they always try to build this drama. Like, you know, Jesus would have to say it louder and more times. No, he said it one time. And Lazarus was up and coming out. Now. Why? Because God spoke. He's the life. He's the life. You are bought. Now, he's looking forward because... Lazarus, he, he, he gets the right end of the deal, right? He is risen from the dead so he can die again. But you and I, we don't have that. Man, when we stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we're going to understand redemption. We've been bought from death. We've been bought from the slave master of sin. We've been purchased. He has provided the way. So let's think about it. We have a need. He says there's a need... In redemption for, for a more perfect tabernacle. Remember we've been talking about all of these concepts, guys, deal with this idea. Everything before was a picture. Jesus is the reality. Everything before was a picture. What was the picture before? The tabernacle built with hands. Last week we went through it all. You remember we talked about all the different things in the tabernacle that point to Christ. Now we're saying that's the picture. We want the reality. The picture couldn't save me. The picture couldn't save me. It told me I needed a Savior. Jesus Christ came, presented Himself as the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. So we need a tabernacle, a more, a more permanent one. Right? more permanent one. Not the picture, the reality. Look at Hebrews 8.2. It says... A minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Remember, the tabernacle is a picture of the throne room in heaven. 
The throne room in heaven speaks to that concept of permanence. Now, I'm not saying there won't be a new heaven and a new earth, but I'm just saying, man, heaven don't get shook. Earth gets shook. We can, we can hold fast to that foundation, the permanence. Hebrews 8.5 says, they serve a copy. Keep this in mind. They think copy, picture. They serve a picture and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. It's all a picture symbolizing Christ. Symbolizing what we have in the reality, which is Jesus Christ. We need a more permanent. We don't still go to the tent. What happened in 70 AD? The temple was destroyed. Is there a temple today? No. Do we need a temple today to worship? Because when Jesus died on the cross, what did God the Father do? He went into the temple and did what? He tore the veil. He said, no more. This is over. The old covenant's done. Now it's about my son. Hebrews chapter 1, first few verses. What's it say? God in times past in various ways spoke to us through the prophets. He has in these last days spoken, said all he has to say through his son. The culmination of God's revelation is Jesus Christ. It's him. Now, in Hebrews chapter 9, this I think really helps us kind of get, get our mind around the idea that perfect tabernacle it says in hebrews nine twenty four, just a, a few verses down from where we are for christ has entered not into holy places made with hands which are copies of the true things but in the heaven itself now to appear in the presence of god on our behalf see i'm not making all this stuff up about pictures we're reading it right we're reading it. These things were copies of the heavenly. Christ doesn't go into the temple. Where does He go? He stands before the throne room of God. He's our intercessor so that when you and I come to that place that day, when we stand face to face with God, it's Jesus Christ who is judged, not me. Because if I was judged, I'm cooked. And if we can't wrap our minds around that, we struggle, our flesh struggles with the idea, well, there's got to be something good in me. There's got to be something I can bring to the table. I'm saying what you bring to the table needs to be a true, real relationship with Jesus Christ. You remember last time I told you what that looks like. A real relationship with Jesus Christ ought to look like you got hit by a truck. Right? It ought to look like something happened in your life. Something changed. God is is moving and working. If that's not true, you need to say, man, do I have? Am I really in a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's what I need. That's what I bring. A true relationship. And Jesus is judged for me. That's why I'm righteous. That's why I'm justified. That's how I'm going to be sanctified. That's why I know I will be glorified. Because I have that real relationship with Him. He stands before God for me. Not He, I don't stand on the scale and then Jesus forgives all the screwed up parts. No. Jesus gets on it for me. That's what intercessory is all about. He intercedes for you. He intercedes for me. He intercedes for us. Man, He is the Lamb takes it away. He doesn't cover it up. 
So not only do we see the need for a more perfect tabernacle, the picture of heaven being the reality of the place where these things are judged, but we also see the need, the necessity of His blood. A lot of times people want to get rid of the blood. Look, without the blood of Jesus, we got nothing. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. No blood, no forgiveness. No blood, no remission. No blood... No relationship. So we have the, ne- the necessity of the blood. Not the picture. The picture was the animals. What was the picture of the animal? It's innocent. The animal didn't do nothing wrong. It's an innocent animal. Something or someone innocent has to die for my sin. That's the, the message, the revelation God gave through His Word. Someone innocent has to die for your sin. Someone innocent has to die for your sin. Someone innocent has to die for your sin. What a great lesson. Think about how that sacrifice would be done. As a, as a father maybe would teach his son, as they go and choose the very best lamb they have, not some scrapper, not some thing with three legs that got stuck in a fence and then ate by coyotes. No, he would go pick the best. And they bring that best out and he teaches his son as he put his hand on that lamb and he confessed his sin. And he said, it's the lamb that done nothing. There's nothing wrong. The lamb didn't do a thing. But my sin kills. How do you look at sin then? See, we don't look at sin that way. We look at sin like, well, God will forgive me, right? What's the big deal? But if you were daily, weekly, going out and, and spilling the blood of some innocent animal to cover for the deeds you had done. Does it change the way you look at sin? I think it does. In fact, in a few chapters, we're going to look at that same picture dealing with how we see sin, only instead of the lamb that is slain, you're going to be looking at the blood of Jesus Christ and whether or not you should trample it like it's nothing. So you have this incredible picture but the reality is not the lamb the lamb was not the reality what is the reality jesus christ what is the innocent the innocent is going to be jesus who was sinless without sin who who came to bear uh our sins for us it says in acts twenty twenty eight. pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained, which he bought by his own blood. The purchase price for the bride of Christ was the blood of Jesus. His blood was shed so that we would have that relationship. In 1 John 1, 7... It says this, if we walk in the light, and He is in the light, we have a relationship with Jesus and He's in the light, we ought to walk in the light, right? If we walk in the light, He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. What's it say? And the blood of Jesus Christ does what? Cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus Christ. He has bought us with His blood out of the slave market of sin. He has bought us with His blood out of the slave market of sin. There is a price. Innocent 
price paid for my sin, for my brokenness, for my mess. But not only has He bought us with His blood, He's also adopted us. See, a really great slave owner, not only might he go to the slave market and buy you out of the slave market and then set you free, but he could go one better than that. He could buy you out of the slave market and make you a son so that you're an heir to all that he has. What is it that that Jesus Christ has done for us? He has secured for us an eternal redemption. Not one that has to be repeated. Eternal. Not one you have to go kill something innocent over and over again. Once for all, He paid. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? That's not news to us, is it? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified, which is to be declared innocent. Now that first phrase is an important phrase. What did I say? You are declared innocent. That is different than being innocent. You get that? The grace of God, which is a free gift given to us, declares me righteous. But I, in reality, am still a broken sinner. He declares me. That's what that little phrase, justified, means. It means a declaration of innocence. That we are justified, declared innocent by His grace as a gift. As a gift. Through what? Through the redemption of Jesus Christ. Where is that redemption? In Christ Jesus. Remember I told you there's this idea that we've got to be in Christ, right? You with me? We've got to be in Christ. That's, that's, that's our position. That position is true. Everything else comes with it. What's another way of saying it? If you abide in Christ, then He abides in you. And if you're in Christ, that's the most secure place on the face of the planet to be. You are in Christ Jesus. Talking about, again, this necessity of His blood in the redemption. That we're bought out of the slave market of sin. Adopted into His family. There's this incredible series of blessings. I know the ladies uh, in their ladies' Bible study just went through Ephesians chapter 1. I'm just going to read a few of the verses to you. But in Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. What's the next two words? In Christ. Don't lose sight of the reality that all of our blessing is in Him. It's not outside of Him. You don't have it outside of Christ. You have to have it where? In Christ. It's in Christ. He says, uh, you have been blessed in Christ with what? Every spiritual blessing. So, that's all of them, by the way. If you are in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. The next several verses, all the way to verse 14, declare what all those blessings are. But he's going to tell us for every one of those blessings, it hinges on those two words. What are they? In Christ. I've got to be in Christ. In Christ is the important 
part that we want to understand. He says, You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us. What's the next two words? In Him. Where are you chosen? In Christ. If you're in Christ, you are chosen. If you're out of Christ, you're not. It's not a difficult concept. If you are in Christ, you're chosen. If you are in Christ, you're predestined. If you are in Christ, you're justified. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven. If you're in Christ, you're redeemed. If you're in Christ, you're adopted. If you're in Christ, you are an heir. If you are in Christ, you have everything you need. You've got to be in Christ. If you're curious about it, if I would go over it today, but we'll never make it. Uh, read verses 13 and 14. You want to say, well, how do I get in Christ? Verse 13 and 14 says you, you're in Christ when you hear the gospel, receive it by faith. When you hear the gospel, receive it by faith. You are in Christ. But remember that concept, receiving, hearing the gospel, receiving it by faith, ought to look like you got run over by a truck. Because nothing should be the same anymore. Now, I don't know where you get that, Jackie. You ever heard of that fellow Zacchaeus? Yeah, how's that song go? Zacchaeus. Don't act like none of you heard this before. A wee little man, wee little man was he. Oh, see, you do know. Okay, so there's a story in, in the Gospel of Luke. When you got time, look at them. There are two stories contrasted together. Rich young ruler, Zacchaeus. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus tells him, he says, I've done that all for my youth. What, what do I still lack? There's holes still up here. What do I, what do I still lack? That cover's in the wrong spot. What do I still lack? He says, well, give away everything you got. Sell all your stuff. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. Right? Come follow me. That, that's a, that's a, that should ring bells in our heads. Come follow me. Hear the gospel. Receive it by faith. Come follow me. The rich young ruler goes away sorrowful. Because he had great wealth. Then, chapter later, we run into this little fellow, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is in uh, Jericho. Jericho? Yeah. Zacchaeus in Jericho. I'm trying to think. We, were, we went there. Sycamore tree. So, he's in Jericho, and he's so excited he wants to see Jesus, but nobody likes this dude. He rips everybody off. He's rotten. He's got all the money he could ever want, and everybody in town needs money. He, like, runs a local pawn shop. So you got to go in there. You, you, you trade your stuff to Zacchaeus. He charges you an arm and a leg for it. You never get it back. He's got all your stuff. Nobody likes that guy. That's what it is to be a tax collector in Rome. So Zacchaeus climbs up in a tree. He just wants to see this Jesus guy. So Jesus walking down. He's, he passes by the sycamore tree. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house and eat. But Jesus was not afraid to invite himself over. <laughs> right? Zacchaeus. I'm going to come to your house to eat. Zacchaeus is all stoked. Right on. Comes over. They go. They eat. You know, the, the Bible doesn't really tell us all the things that happen. What it tells us is Zacchaeus got hit by a truck. Because if you look at it, all of a sudden Zacchaeus is like, I'm giving back all the money I ever stole. 
I'm going to give back double whatever I took from everybody. I'm going to give everything I have. I will lay it all down. All I want to do is follow you. And Jesus said, salvation's come to this house. Zacchaeus looked like he got hit by a truck. You get what I'm saying? Rich young ruler, he looked exactly like he did the day he came. We want to be in Christ Jesus. We want to be in Him. We want to have that relationship with Him. So we want to comprehend, we want to understand, not only that there's a need for a more perfect tabernacle, which is the picture of the throne room in heaven, not only is there the need for the blood of Jesus Christ, not only is there that, but we also want to understand the nature of the redemption that Jesus Christ has wrought for us. What's the nature of the redemption? It says, He entered once for all. He's never going to do it again. One time was all it took. One time was all it needed. There's this crazy grammar. I don't want to get too too nutty in it. But basically, let me tell you, it is in the aorist middle voice, which means that he did it all in and of himself. It was all about him. He sought it out. He bought it. He paid the price. He's the whole story. Now, back up and think about all the pictures we looked at. Not only is he a picture of the high priest, not only is he a picture of the tabernacle, not only is he a picture of the lamb, my gosh, he's everything. Which is exactly what the Scripture says he did when he entered once for all. Several things that we want to pull out of. One, it's eternal. There's no other way to define eternal. Eternal is forever. Let's put it this way. Everlasting. His redemption never needs to be repeated. Never needs to be repeated. The sinner having placed his faith in Messiah is liberated forever from sin's penalty. If you are in Christ, it's done. It is finished. He did not give us a probation. He gave us salvation. You understand the difference? I'll never make it off probation. What do you mean? You guys ever been on probation? Oh, come Every husband in here been on probation. (laughs) Every one of you been on probation. The wife says, don't you do that again. That's probation. You do that again and... You're losing something. Yeah? I've lost so many things over the years, I'm not even sure where it all is at. (laughs) Jesus did not give us probation. He gave us salvation. He gave us salvation. It's perfect. It's complete. In Christ, it is all that we need. The result of Christ's sacrifice, He obtained eternal Redemption. The next thing we see, not only is it eternal, it is once. Epipax is the word. Epipax means once for all. An ironic priest had to go year by year by year by year offering sacrifices. Jesus does it once for all. Period. Once. Only once. Never have to do it again. Never have to do it again. Probably the biggest problem 
with the issue between Protestants and Catholics is the idea that the Mass has to be continual. According to the Bible, Jesus did it once for all. It's good enough. It's paid, it's paved, it's accomplished. So not only is it eternal, not only is it once for all, but it has been or it is obtained. That word, the concept for the word obtained, is that what we what we were discussing a little bit ago, the idea that he not only had to find it, he came upon it, he sought it out, he looked for it to discover it, but then there's nobody else but him to acquire it. That he did it all. When it says he obtained it, it means Jesus Christ did it all. There's nothing that we can do to add to. There's nothing. It is finished. It is obtained. He has done it. Not only is it eternal once and for all and obtained, but it is also by grace. Right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Nobody can boast about it. Because it's by grace. There's not one person in here deserves what Jesus Christ did for him. Not me. Not you. You think you deserve it. You're a knucklehead. Get it straight. I didn't deserve it. There's nothing in me that goes, Whoa, man, that guy's so deserving. I, my good deeds don't mount up to a hill of beans. Nor will they ever. Because the Bible says, what? That our works are as filthy rags, right? Dirty, filthy, nasty, stinky rags. So we're going to stand before Jesus and just unload this dump truck of dirty, filthy, stinky, nasty rags all over the throne of God. We're going to dump this big old pile. Look, look, now I get in, right? No. And get those stinky, smelly, dirty, nasty rags out of here. Yeah, because they don't, there's no value to them. Where's the value? In Christ. Where's our focus need to be? In Christ. Where, what's it all about? Everything. It all comes down. I love that God keeps it simple. There's not a bunch of do's and don'ts you got to do. There's one thing. You got to be in Christ. You got to be in Him. That's it. In Him, we have it all. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. We read that, right? And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation, as a substitute sacrifice by His blood to be received, how? By faith. So I receive this work by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Why did God do it this way? It shows His righteousness. Why? Because He used to charge the account to the Old Testament to the guys who sinned and sacrificed their lambs. The Bible says the, the blood of lambs and goats can never take away sins. But the Bible tells us when John looked at Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God which does what? Takes away. Doesn't cover. Takes away. There's only one Lamb that could take away the sin. That was Jesus Christ. God does it to show His righteousness. He can't overlook it. He can't overlook the price for sin. So He has His Son. Perfect. Holy. Just. Right. Pay a debt He didn't owe. So that you and I could have a righteousness we can't acquire any other way. He 
imputes us righteous. He declares us righteous. This is the work of God. It is by grace. We can't earn it. It is forgiveness. Remember I told you all the blessings in Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians 1, 7 says, In Him, what's that phrase I told you to watch for all the time? In Him, in Christ, over 169 times Paul uses it in 13 epistles. 169 times. You think it's an important concept? In Him, he says in 1, 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to what? The riches of His grace. Not according to my ability to be good enough. According to the riches of His grace. The riches of His grace. But remember, I just want you to balance this concept in your mind. Because whenever we talk about stuff like this, people start freaking out and getting weird and and wanting to add a bunch of stuff because they're afraid we're just all going to go run out and be dirty, filthy, rotten sinners. Remember I told you, if you're in Christ, you got hit by what? A truck. So you better look like Zacchaeus. Not like a rich young ruler. You think about that? We ought to look like him. We ought to look like those guys whose lives were radically transformed by a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if not, what do I do? I fall on my knees before a holy God and I cry out to him, Lord, give me repentance. Grant me repentance. Bring me in. I want to be in you. I want to be in you. I want to have this reality. Not a picture. The truth of all that God promises. So this is not only eternal, not only is it once for all, not only has it been obtained solely and completely by Jesus Christ, not only is it wholly and completely by grace, not only does it give us forgiveness of our sins, but it saves us from the curse of the law. It's interesting because when you go through the Scripture, the Scripture tells us, I want to say Deuteronomy 19, might be wrong though. You guys check up on me. The scripture says the worst curse of all. Of all the curses there are, the worst curse was to be hung on a tree. Now maybe we don't put that together with anything. Well, let's, let's ask Paul about it. Because Paul's pretty good about connecting the dots for us. Paul says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. As the scripture says, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ became a curse. So you and I could be blessed. He became broken so we could be made whole. He made him who knew no sin to become my sin offering. My sin sacrifice. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. How do we become the righteousness of God? God declares it. How does he declare it? Because when we're in Christ and he looks at us, who does he see? Jesus. When we're in Christ and he looks at us, who does he see? And Jesus is righteous and Jesus is pure and Jesus is holy. Jesus is not running around looking for all the ways he can sin, right? We're in Christ. We're in Christ. That's what God sees. That's, that's the reality that God sees. In Galatians 4, 5, 
It says, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Not only has He redeemed us, right? Bought us from a slave master of sin. But then He said, I'm going to make you my sons and daughters. I'm going to make you my children. Heirs together with Christ and joint heirs. Man, every promise through Christ, because we're in Christ, is yes and amen for you and I. That's a good thing. We can cling to those things. We can hold to those things. We can lay hold of them. Why? Because Jesus redeemed us. And how did He do it all? By the power of His blood. Because He shed His blood for me. So I'm bathed in the blood. Being bathed in the blood washes us white as snow. So if we get, have this idea, this concept that we see of the power of the blood in the redemption and, and what is accomplished in the redemption, then let's see the power of the blood. What is the result? What did it, what did it accomplish in you and I? He compares it in verse 13. Hebrews 9.13. Look at the comparison. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. He's making this comparison, right? If this is what they did before, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And We'll get there in a minute. That's getting hit by a truck. The blood, if the blood of bulls and goats. Bulls and goats, those, those were used at Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. And the ashes of a heifer was used to, to bring purity, bring cleansing. So what we have pictured are two things. The, the blood of bulls and goats, which brought a, a cleansing, and the ashes of a heifer, which brought a purification. But they were ceremonial purification and ceremonial cleansing because the real purification, the real cleansing happens under the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? They were pictures. He's the reality. They were an illustration so we could understand concepts. But Jesus Christ is... The reality. He is the totality. He is everything we need. So look at it. See it. Not only do we see this, the, the ceremonial purity and the, and the ceremonial cleansing being actual in Christ Jesus, not only do we see that, but he also talks about it, it purifying our conscience. So you get it, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish, to purify our conscience. So he's saying that the purity that was offered by the ashes of the heifer, or the cleansing that was offered by the blood of the bulls and goats, that was ceremonial, was an illustration of a reality. And so God would charge your account because you were faithful and believed what God said. He would put that on your account, charge it to a credit card that was plugged into a machine at the cross. And when Jesus Christ died, he paid for all that stuff that the covering, the, the bulls and goats covered. He, he paid for all the purification of the ashes of the red heifer, of all the stuff that they went through to try to accomplish this thing. Jesus Christ 
is, is able to do it all, accomplish it all through his blood. He's able to do this. But, but we have this concept that I think is hard for us to nail down. What's a conscience? Uh, go ahead, look for a bunch of definitions. Because you, you, you melt your noodle while people try to talk about what's a conscience. What, what's your conscience? Look at what your conscience do. How's it work? Let's look what the Bible says. Just take a minute. Let's look at what the Bible says about our conscience. What do we know about our conscience from the Bible? Romans 2, 14 and 15 says, When Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do, do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts either accuse or excuse them. So the idea that the Bible's laying out for us is it's some kind of a moral determiner. But that moral determiner is under man's uh, control. Man can decide what is going, what his moral determiner is going to be anchored to. The vast majority of the world, their moral determiner is anchored to their own reasoning. Would you agree with that? That's why we can't all agree on what's right or wrong. What's good or bad, especially in this world. But there's another option, right? We could anchor our moral determiner to what? We could anchor it to the Word of God. If we all anchored it to the Word of God, we would all agree, wouldn't we? We would all agree. That's what life in Christ looks like. The moral determinator anchored by the Word of God. Well, let's look at what else does the Bible say about conscience. Romans 9. 1 through 3 says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I were a curse cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So we can also see that our conscience can have a desire to see others come to the Lord. So you see that concept that it's a moral determiner. You see the idea that it is a desire within us, like from Paul, to see people uh, come to the Lord. First Timothy 1.5 says, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience. And a sincere faith. So it's possible for our conscience to be good, right? And it's also possible for our conscience to be messed up. Yeah, it's, it's possible for it to be good. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So now it's also possible that we sear our conscience, to scar our conscience in such a way that we'll be deceived by the doctrine of demons. We'd even follow demons where our, our, our conscience is so battered and bruised and defeated. And then we have verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, through the eternal spirit offered without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Most of the time, our conscience wants to justify ourselves. Our conscience is in direct rebellion most of the time to the message of the gospel. The message that says, I just got to fall on my knees before Christ, receive the gospel by faith. 
And he saves me. Whacks me with a trip. My life is transformed. Man, it, it goes against our conscience. Our conscience wants to justify ourselves. Believes that what I do makes me righteous. That's why it's so important we understand. We are not righteous. We are declared righteous. We do not become righteous in this life until you see Jesus Christ. When corruption has put on incorruption. That happens when we see Jesus after death or after the rapture when we come before him. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 3, 5, and 7 says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, declared righteous, by His grace, we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Man, it's the, the battle, our conscience, our battle. So what is He declaring to us? He's declaring to us that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses our conscience. It cleanses it so that it can be good conscience, so that it can have that desire to see the lost saved, so that it can be acting appropriately, uh, expressed appropriately in our life. Why? Because my moral determinator is not controlled by me anymore. It's controlled by God. And I find myself a guilty man before a holy God who has done everything to save me. Now I just want you to think, think back with me in verse 14. Look at all that He did. Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, was offered how? Through... The eternal spirit. Now it doesn't matter. There's some disagreement out there about whether this is the Holy Spirit or Jesus' eternal spirit. Uh, it doesn't make any difference. It's, either way, it's eternal. Right? The Holy Spirit's eternal. The Spirit of Christ is eternal. But it's offered through that. Through the deity. Through the, the perfect perfection that is laid out for us, He is offered. So it involves the Spirit of God through the eternal Spirit. It all also involves His substitution. He substituted Himself. He substituted Himself. It says He offered Himself, right? He, nobody put Him on the cross. Nobody nailed Him. You could not have strapped Him down if He did not say, okay. He offered Himself. He put Himself at the cross. He placed Himself there. He was our substitution. It also involves His sinlessness. It says not only did He offer Himself, but He offered Himself without blemish. Remember I told you, you couldn't bring the worst of your lambs. What would you bring? The best. Well, there's none better than Jesus. He's the best of them all. Without blemish. Without spot. Without wrinkle. He is without sin. But finally, look at verse 5, or or look at the end of that verse in verse 14. It involves our service to God. It involves our service to God. Look what he says. He lays it out for us. He says, How much more will the blood of Christ, through the eternal Spirit, offering Himself 
without blemish, sinless to God, purify our conscience from dead works, or taking our conscience, getting our conscience under control, to do what? To serve the living God. Not a has to. Not a has to. Perfect example and illustration, rich young ruler and Zacchaeus. Did God come to Zacchaeus and say, Zacchaeus, give that money back to them people. Is that what he said? Does Zacchaeus know anything yet? No. What happened to Zacchaeus? He got hit by a truck. He got hit by a truck. What happened? All of a sudden, his conscience, the moral determiner inside of him, was flipped upside down. And he said, man, I'm, 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 I'm a sinner. And he's holy. And you know what? I'm done with this. For how can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? How have we died to sin? You've died to sin if you are in Christ Jesus. You can live in sin and be happy there. You are not in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus. Your sin vexes you like Zacchaeus. Your sin vexes you and you say, Man, I can't have this no more. And you, and you want to make it right. God didn't tell Zacchaeus what to do. Zacchaeus did what was in his heart. He did what was on his heart and a heart that is now captivated by the love of Jesus Christ. And if our heart is captivated by the love of Jesus Christ, do what you want. Do what you want. Because if your heart's captivated by Jesus Christ, what you want is going to be okay. You get it? So that so that we can see the beauty, the, the incredible incredible beauty that is done in our service to God. And how is that service done? Because our life has been radically transformed. Radically. And we're like... Now, when we've been in Christ for a while, it's hard to remember the radical. Every once in a while, i got to look back. Holy cow, I've done that? I let, uh, you got to be kidding me. Oh, I would never say that to my children when they were growing up. Nope, I've I, I done those things. But God changed my heart. I'm not that person no more. I don't even look like that person no more. You want to, I'll put my picture up of that person and me, and you'll go, who is that guy? So skinny and handsome. <laughs> and I'll say, might be skinny and handsome on the outside, but that was an ugly dude, man. That was an ugly dude. But, but God did a work in my life. And by the blood of Jesus Christ, through the eternal spirit, he offered himself for me. Without blemish, perfect sin sacrifice. He purified my conscience from dead works. I can't do this on my own. And now I want to serve God. Because I love Him. Period. That's it. I just want to serve God because I love Him. So, what is the completed work of redemption? That's verse 15. That's all the further we're going. Therefore, He, Jesus Christ, is a mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Man, that's amazing. So He's the mediator. It's like He's the executor of the will. You with me? He's the executor. He's the mediator of the new covenant so that those who are called 
All that are called, the Bible says in Romans 8, 29 and 30, all that are called are going to be predestined. They're going to be justified. They're going to be sanctified. They're going to be glorified. Guaranteed, period. What's the what's it hinge on? They are all where? In Christ. All in Christ. Receive eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. The law showed us we need a Savior. Jesus Christ is that Savior. The executor. So what did he do? He, he is the mediator. He puts his hand in God's hand. That's why it's important that he's fully God. He puts his hand in man's hand. That's why he's fully man. That's why he's the God-man. That's why the Bible teaches it like that. So you would understand the illustration. He can put his hand in God's hand. He can put his hands in man's hand. He can bridge the gap between them. Jesus Christ is the mediator, the executor. And what did he remove? What did he take away from us? It says, since death has occurred, it redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. He removes our sin. He got them out of the way. The bull, the blood of bulls and goats just covered them. He took it out. It's gone. He says, I don't remember your sin no more. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removes them. What has he removed? Through his substitutionary atonement, his death on our behalf, he redeems us from our sin, buys us back from the slave master of sin. And what did we receive? A promise of an eternal inheritance. Romans 8.17 says, We are children, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided. We suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified. How do we suffer with Christ? How do we die with Christ? How do we accomplish those things? It's not that complicated. It gets complicated when we start using theological terms. I'm trying not to do that. So how do, we, how do we suffer with Him? How do we die with Him? How am I raised with Him? Simple. I have to be in Him. Ephesians 1. i got to be in Christ Jesus. If I'm in Him, I suffer with Him. If I'm in Him, I died with Him. If I'm in Him, I rose with Him. If I'm in Him, i got everything I need. I just got to be in Him. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank You so much for the truth of Your Word declared here in Hebrews chapter 9. There's so much more still to come. And everything builds one thing on another. Another and another and another continually building on one another. God, I just pray that we would we would be able to lay hold of all these building blocks that we discuss as we go through the book of Hebrews and put them all together to say Jesus Christ is greatest. Jesus Christ is the best. He's over everything. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the priests. He's better than the old covenant. He ushered in the new covenant. He is a better sacrifice. His blood is better than the blood of bulls and goats. He is able to do it, save us to the uttermost, to, to, to accomplish in us that which can't be accomplished any other way. He is able to make us just like He did Zacchaeus. Radical transformation of life. Didn't require any commandments. It just simply was a change in a heart. 
where he took a heart of stone and he gave him a heart of flesh. And God, that's what we need. We need that reality in our life that we have been touched by the God of the universe who came from so far we can't even fathom it just so that He could substitute for me. So He take He paid my debt to set me free. And as He sets me free from my debt, as He set me free in this place, I, I just, I just want to cling to Him. I want to be in Him. I want to suffer with Him. I want to die with Him. I want to rise with Him. Everything I do, I do. I want to be in Him, around Him, through Him, for Him. I hear Him say, Come follow me. And just like all the disciples before me, I say, Amen. I will follow you. Because there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. That whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whosoever falls down in humility before God lifts his hand like that sinner that Jesus talked about beats his breast and says, Have mercy on me, God. I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. I'm broken. Jesus said that one went away justified, declared righteous. Not because he was good, but because he knew one who is. God, I pray that each of us would have a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The only king we ever need to bow a knee to. The only king that really matters. God, I pray that it would be our heart to serve you every moment of our life in whatever way every way any way that we might bring glory and honor to you for all you've done for us we give you praise for it all in jesus name amen